everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Welcome. My name is Brian. I'm the high school pastor here. Just want to say thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for being with us. Um, coming to spend this time on a Sunday morning. Um, <laughs> I know that you all cherish your sleep. I do as well. Um, uh, but again, I appreciate you guys coming together this morning to be here. Um, and I can't emphasize how important it is that you do that, um, that you come together and, and meet with the body of believers um, on a regular basis. And we've been talking about that. We've been talking about um, the Ten Commandments specifically. Um, if you've not been here, maybe for the last couple of weeks, the Ten Commandments is a brand new series we started a few weeks back when we're going through every commandment, understanding what they mean in their context. Um, even if you're not really familiar with church or you know what's going on, maybe you've heard of this Ten Commandments kind of thing, right? The, the, the laws maybe. And, and maybe when you think of Christianity, that's all you think about. Just rules, regulations, laws, and Sure, there's a fair share of that in terms of what God has commanded us to do. Um, but as we talked about in the very beginning of this series, it's not just laws and regulations and all of that that God wants to impose to control you and to keep you from experiencing freedom. It's on the contrary. He gives these laws to a free people who only knew slavery. And once they were free, he gave them these laws so they can stay free. Sin bounds us and chains us, but God gives us freedom from that. And he is giving them here a, a pathway to live a life of freedom through these commands and through uh, the things that Jesus taught and what we see throughout Scripture. And so, again, these commands, although they're um, really old, they're still relevant to us today. Jesus says so. We'll see that in today's uh, lesson. Um, but then he also goes into greater depth in what these mean. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at a few commandments before we get into that. Like I said, I just have a few announcements. February 13th, I believe. Um, I'll double check that, but that's a Tuesday. That's when we're going to be starting back up with our connect groups. We're going to be doing this series called Clarity, as we did before. But that is a series really um, to address some of the questions that you guys might have. Um, kids your age have all these different types of questions. Um, in high school, you're hearing a lot, you're being presented and confronted with a lot, and there's a lot on your mind. I know because I have a lot on my mind, it doesn't change, um, and also I've been in your shoes before, so I know what it's like. And so there's several questions that you most likely have, and you probably should ask. We want to give you the answers, and I'm not just going to give you that based on my opinion, but what God says. And so we're going to be doing that for the next couple of weeks, and that's Tuesday nights here. Um, every Tuesday, starting February 13th, we're going to be meeting in here at 7 p.m. So you're welcome to come. There's food. Come hang out with us. Um, you're all invited and bring your friends as well. Other than that, we have a few different things coming up. We have Galentine's Day. That's coming up as well. Um, we, there you go, girls. That's a girls' event for you. We also have... Um, we also have the Super Bowl party that we do every year. We do it here at, in the church, and so we're going to be showing the Super Bowl game here if you don't have anywhere to go. Or maybe um, 
Do you want a different place to go, uh, somewhere better, in my opinion? Um, you come watch it here in our projector. We'll have some games. I'll put on, I think I'm going to put up the inflatable slide this year. We're going to do a few things. We'll have some games running as well. Um, I'll probably plug in the switch like we did last year. But we'll, we'll, do, some, we'll, we'll do some different things. So we're going to be doing that. Again, that's on Super Bowl day. Um, <laughs> I, think, oh, I think we'll open up the doors at 6. I think the game's at 6.30. So come join us here. And other than that, this weekend we're going to, this upcoming weekend, we're going to Intersect Snow Camp. So if that's you, get your things ready because we're going to head out on Friday. Um, And yeah, I think immediately those are kind of the things that we got going on. There's a few things down the road. So Cabin Fever is something the church is doing and we are going to volunteer and help out with. We're going to be doing some of the inflatables in the gym. So if you can come to that, you can be a part of Cabin Fever. Please make it out to that. Um, we need as much help as we can get, and that's a great way for you to serve the church, serve the people. All right, we have an ambitious goal of getting 1,000 people from the community here, and that's going to take a lot of hands, a lot of people to help out. So come hang out. Cabin Fever is already going to be fun. You were probably planning on coming to have fun anyways and hang out. There's going to be a lot going on. But if you can, take some time to serve during that. That would be very much so appreciated. Um, excuse me? We will be here at noon on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to be leaving for camp all together. Make sure you're here on time. You have all your things. And online, you can get a packing list, all right? Don't worry about that. You just get here at that time. (laughs) The truth is we never know. The truth is we never know. Now, one more question before we start. Go ahead, Sam. Huh? Can you still sign up for camp? No, I don't believe so. Uh, unless somebody drops out in the next week, then text me. Just text me. If, if you're interested, send me a message so that I can reserve your name in case that does happen. All right? Um, before we get into the, the commandments we're going to be looking at today, let's quickly go over our, uh, our, our little, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what this is called. Um, we're going to run through the commandments here, 1 through 10 through the little um, illustrations we've created or my friend created that we're utilizing. And hopefully, by the end of all this, you remember them in order for what they are. Number one, can somebody tell me what the first commandment is? You shall have no other gods before me. Correct. And the reason, the reason we know that is because number one is a giveaway. Number one, God is number one. He is number one priority. So in, in the number, we have... Um, kind of a, um, a hint as to what that would be. God being first place in our lives. Again, we talked about this. He's the only one worthy of that position. Um, anyways, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And then something follows that in number two. Does anybody remember what number two is? It's a kneeling dude. Yes, it looks like he's kneeling, bowing. Uh, and that hints to you shall have no idols, right? You shall make no idols. And that's kind of along the lines or following up on that number one. Um, You shall have no other gods before me. God is the number one in your life. And you should have no idols. Kind of follows right after that, right? Nothing um, should replace him, right? And I see some of you squinting. C2 kind of looks like this, right? He's kind of bowing down as a person. That's how we come to number two. Idols. Number three. What is number three? Blaspheme, Blaspheme right? Um, the correct 
answer really is you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. But blasphemy is that. Um, you get to this little trick because the number three, if you put a, a line down the side, it looks like the letter B, and that's synonymous with, of course, blasphemy, right? We, we, make that, we make that assumption there, and we get to the place where we understand that number three is blasphemy, and blasphemy is taking the Lord's name in vain. And something I want to just highlight here because this is important, and we talked about this a few weeks back, blasphemy and taking the Lord's name in vain is a lot of the times we just think of the things that we say, and that's a pretty... Uh, that's pretty obvious, but it's also taking the Lord's name in vain in regards to calling yourself I would, a believer, I would say, right? Taking the Lord's name, right? Calling yourself Christian, but does your life match up with that? Do you live out that way, or are you taking his name in vain? That's another aspect that we kind of neglect, and we don't think about what it's important to think about as well. Last week, we talked about this one. Number four, what is this? Yes, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. How do we get there, you might ask? Well, flip the four upside down and you get a chair. And what do you do when you sit down in a chair? You rest. Sabbath day is the day of rest. And although we don't have the obligation to follow the law like the Israelites did, and, and Jesus kind of changes that to an extent, um, we do still have a need for rest. Right? God created us with a need for rest. He took the day of rest when he created all of, all of the earth. He created everything, and then he rested to show us, not because he was tired, but to show us what that looks like and to show us the gift that it is to rest. And we understand now that rest really is only truly found in him. We can try to find rest in different things, but the only true rest that we have is in God, who says, come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He carries those burdens that you have. Number five. How do we get to this one? Well, that's right, right? Think of a belly of a mother, honor your father and mother, right? That's the only commandment that talks about your parents. Dead giveaway, dead, dead giveaway. Number five, honor your father and mother. And we talked about that last week as well. We did number four and five, um, honoring your father and mother. Again, um, we have that responsibility. Number six, this one is one of the ones that we'll talk about today. Number six, six feet under. What does that mean? Somebody is dead. You shall not murder. You shall not murder is number six, one that we'll talk about today. And I want you to remember specifically this word, and I'll, and I'll talk about it, right? The command is you shall not murder. It's not you shall not kill Right? It's specifically, some translations say that, but I think the correct translation and the way that would adequately surmise or encapsulate what this commandment says is you shall not murder. Keep that in mind. We'll talk about that in just a second. You shall not murder is number six. This one is maybe the worst of the bunch. Number seven. It's an A. It looks like an A, kind of. If you move that line around, if you move things around, it kind of looks like an A. Sure, it's a stretch, but whatever. That's fine. But what word starts with the letter A? Adultery. Adultery. You shall not commit adultery, right? That is number seven. If you somehow use your imagination to get to the letter A, you'll remember. You shall not commit adultery is number seven. Number eight. This one I used the little S that I'd made all my life growing up in school. I did this for no reason. I just spent hours drawing this during class. That's an S, but 
also looks like the number eight. If you take two S's, put them back to back, they also look like the number eight. And why do I keep saying the letter S? Steal. Thank you. Look. Look at the progress we've made. Do not steal is number eight. The last one we'll be talking about today is you shall not steal. Um, again, really easy. If you think of the S and you think of the eight, you know those are synonymous with each other. You shall not steal. This one, again, another terrible one, but you blame my friend, not me. This right here is a microphone, believe it or not. And what do you do in a microphone? You speak into it. And what can you do when you speak? You can lie. And you can bear false witness. And commandments say you shall not do that. Do not bear false witness. Meaning, again, you shall not lie. Um, essentially, that boils down to that. But we'll, next week we'll get into, or the week after we'll get into more specifics with that. But use your imagination. Again, I know I'm saying that a lot. But number nine, you shall not bear false witness. And number ten, this one is, I would say, kind of easy. Number ten, when something is ten out of ten, usually means it's really good. Right? That's perfect. And usually when we crave stuff, when we covet things, it's usually things like this. We don't want or desire stuff that isn't good. It's not great. But typically when we covet, which is number 10, you shall not covet, it's typically because something is really good and we want it for ourselves. You shall not covet. That is number 10. Now, as you heard me say already, we're going to be doing 6, 7, and 8 and so if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. If not, you can just follow along on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 17 and 19, I believe. Through 19, better yet. And here we find the commandments we'll be studying today. And yes, that's all those verses say, so let's read it here. You shall not murder. Um, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Pretty straightforward, right? All right, well, uh, that's my time this morning. Let's pray. Uh, no, 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 for real. Uh, I know I said that I was going to do that to some of you before, but essentially what I mean by that and what I was, uh, what that flat joke essentially insinuates is that these are, in fact, pretty straightforward and seem really easy. Uh, you might read that. And if you're reading through scripture, you just kind of open up Deuteronomy chapter 5. You're reading through the commandments and you see those five or those three. And you just go right past it because it's very self-explanatory in some way. It's like, okay, well, do not murder, do not um, commit adultery, do not steal. I get it. There's no, there's no confusing what that means, perhaps. And so you just keep going on. You don't really spend too much time really understanding what this is saying, but... Although on the surface it seems very clear cut, really easy to understand. Perhaps maybe the easiest three out of all the commandments to understand. The most straightforward. Right? There's no mincing of words here. It's not elaborate. There's, like I said, not much to the verses themselves. It's just three imperatives. Really clear cut. No more than ten words in each of these commandments. Really easy for you to understand. Anybody can read that. And see what that means. However, there's something incredibly profound about each of these. And way deeper than what the surface might insinuate when we look at these commandments here. When you read them in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it seems straightforward. But I want to take us to another place in scripture where Jesus himself spends time 
unfolding, or, or better yet, unpacking what these actually mean. He spends time taking a deeper look at what these commandments mean. Jesus, um, I said something last week, Jesus, he came and he fulfilled the law when he came to the earth. When he died for our sins, he fulfilled the law. That through the person and work of Jesus Christ, he fulfilled the purpose of the law. And this is something that he himself states in Matthew, where we'll be this morning, Matthew chapter 5. In verse 17, he says this, it'll be on the screen. Do not think, or in other translations, do not misunderstand why. I have come to abolish or, or misunderstand that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He's saying, I did not do that. What I did do is I have come um, not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. Again, here Jesus is once more showing us that we don't just discard the Old Testament. We take the Old Testament and say, oh, this is irrelevant. This is not for us. He doesn't do that. So, go, of course, we're not going to do that. But his death again, doesn't just enable us to go out and do whatever we want, to live the life that we want. Just because he died for your sins, it doesn't excuse you to go out and behave, however. It's not what his death does. And, and the cross doesn't even show us that we're great people. The cross, the, the cross isn't supposed to show us, oh, wow, God loves us so much and we're such great people. No, it, it does the opposite. The cross shows us that, yeah, God loves us, but it should bring us to our knees because it shows us that we're a mess, that we need him. In fact, our own death doesn't even cover the penalty for our sins. We couldn't do that ourselves. We could never pay that penalty ourselves. It took the only son of God to come to this earth and die a perfect death for you and for me. And Jesus, he does that. And this is what enables us to love him. Because he first loved us, we love him. And because we love him, we obey him. We obey these commands. And the commands that God gives his people is not commands that kind of were instilled during chaos. I mentioned this earlier, but things aren't going awry. Things aren't chaotic. And he's like, all right, stop, 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 stop. Let's put some rules in place here because this isn't working. No, he frees his people. And once these people who are freed, having only known slavery, the Egyptians just abused them and used them for slavery, for work and for labor and did whatever. And they had no concept of any rule or order. And once God frees them, he then instills this way to live, to be free, to continue to be free. And he reminds them that he is their God, their, his chosen people, Israel. And Jesus here equally, in chapter 5 of Matthew, he shows his followers, Christians today, what it means to be free, free from sin. So if you will, please turn with me to, again, Matthew chapter 5. Well, there's not much for us to look at in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5 and really seek to understand what these commandments mean for us. Not just at a surface level, but in a much deeper level. Following his statement in chapter, seven, uh, in chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus actually goes on to address these specific commandments, um, the ones that we'll be talking about today, to a group of people that were convinced that they were doing the Ten Commandments. They were fully convinced they were abiding by the Ten Commandments. They actually took pride in it. This group of people thought that they were living in the way that they should, right? And by all accords, right, by their own standards, they were. 
when we look at those three, right, and maybe on, at first glance, we would all say, in some ways, we're abiding by those, right? And so they, obviously, when, when they're presented with these commandments, they're like, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're following these. But Jesus, obviously, he <laughs> convicts them and shows them that they're really not. In chapter 5, Jesus shows us and makes it very evident that they're not following the law. Although through their own interpretation they might be, in the real sense of the commandment, they're not. And this is the key to understanding these commandments here. And it's a key for us this morning. The big idea here is that an evil desire is as sinful as the deed. An evil desire is as sinful as the deed. Right? Both are sinful. That's the big idea. Not saying um, thinking about murder is as bad as actually going and doing it, but both are sins. It's not just the action, it's the thought. Jesus makes that very clear. It's like, it's, it's not just what you actually do, but it's a heart issue. That's at the root of what these commandments mean. That's what he is saying here. It's not just what you do. It's not just your actions or the outward expression, but the inward heart, the inward thoughts of man. What's going on inside, that's the issue. And when confronted about that reality, none of them could say that they were perfect. All of them were guilty of this. A thought and imagination are all as reprehensible in the sight of God as an act committed. What we find here in the interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount is that the standards of the law are much higher than we might have assumed. It's not just committing adultery. It's not just committing murder. It's not just stealing. Jesus, he takes time here with these verses to zoom in, look at these much deeper, look inward, and understand what these commandments really are. So this morning I want to do the same. I want to look at these commandments, understand them textually, contextually, and what they signified. And furthermore, I want to just speak on what Jesus taught his followers there in regard to each. Beginning, of course, with commandment number six. Do not, or better yet, you shall not murder. You shall not murder is the sixth commandment. And for clarification here, I mentioned this earlier. Murder is important because that's the word that is, um, I guess, best encapsulating or, or, or is best used for interpreting what's really meant here. Um, uh, you might say after reading the Bible, as you look through the Old Testament especially, there's a boatload of death. There's a lot of war. There's people dying all the time. And even before you get to the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, actually, in chapter 20, if you look at the previous chapter, in chapter 19, God is telling them how he will come down on Mount Sinai. And he's going to uh, come to them and he's going to give these Ten Commandments eventually. But before he does that, he also sets boundaries and limitations for some people in preparation for it. God promised he would reveal himself on Mount Sinai, on Mount Sinai but he told Israel, stay away. Stay away. And I'll explain what that means in verse 12 of chapter 19. This is what God says. And you shall, not, and you shall set limits... For the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. 
And in the following verse, he kind of elaborates that even more, but he sets these boundaries that could not be crossed, and Israel had to keep their distance. There was a barrier. They could not touch the mountain in which God would come up, lest they be deemed unholy. So any animal or any person that would do so would be sentenced to death, either through stoning or through shooting with arrows. And you might read something like that, or you might see the death that takes place in the Old Testament. You ask yourself, well, how in the world then does that say you shall not murder? How does that make any sense? If God here in some ways is instilling this capital punishment, but then he, just the chapter later says you shall not murder. How do those things coincide? And again, that's why it's really important to understand here the distinction between kill and murder. You see, as opposed to killing, murder is taking the life of somebody without legal justification or any moral justification. In terms of um, this word kill in English, um, it doesn't fully capture the nuance of the Hebrew word here that I'm, that I'm talking about, right? The, the word for murder, um, because this is more of like an unlawful killing than just any kind of killing. Um, and that's why when you look at the historical accounts and the narrative in the Bible and you read all these things, that's why you can understand that God doesn't contradict himself. The Bible is not contradicting itself when it says these things. Right? God doesn't condone more murder at all. But killing also with death and, and all these wars and things that happen, those things are, are, are separate from one another in, in some regard. So that's why we don't see contradiction here. I just want to clarify that so, you, so that makes sense to you. Um, but anyways, when we look at this then, we, we might still say, hey, listen, that's a check off my list. I never murder anybody. Right? I never actually took somebody's life unlawfully. And of course, these Pharisees were probably thinking the same thing when Jesus was speaking to them. You know, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. And they're thinking, well, yeah, for sure, I, I never murdered. But in chapter 5 here, he starts to elaborate on what this actually looks like. And while by their own standards they never murder anybody, through the standard that Jesus sets, they have. Um, there, here's what he says, and I'll elaborate here in just a second. Uh, Jesus says this in, in dealing with this commandment, talking about the inwards realities uh, as well. He says in verse 21 of chapter 5, You have heard that it was said, um, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So far, they're agreeing. They're understanding. They're on the same page. But here's where the plot thickens, so to speak, and Jesus changes things and flips things on its head. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults, and the Greek word here is this word raka, and it means to Abuse. It's not even just a word. Some people might translate that insults as the words like idiot or nobody or brainless. But it's not even just a specific word like calling somebody stupid. It's more of this tone, this abusive tone, right? Almost like a demeaning way to speak. Anybody who speaks to somebody else in a demeaning way, degrading somebody else, essentially, this is what it's saying. Whoever does this to his brother will be liable to counsel. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell of fire. 
So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accusers while you are going with him to court, lest your accusers hand you over to the judge and the judge to the ground and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Here, Jesus carefully explained the heart of this commandment. He showed that it also prohibits us from hating somebody else. Not just physically murdering somebody, but murdering them internally as well, so to speak. Um, You see, we can wish someone dead in our hearts and yet never actually have the courage to do that, to take somebody's life. But what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here is that Although most people don't actually do that, you're not guilty of taking somebody's life. Just because we don't have the courage or the initiative or maybe even the anger to do that, it doesn't justify us. We're not right or blameless. Most of us or a lot of us have done that. Maybe I would say all of us have been filled with anger or hatred towards another individual. Jesus, when he is interpreting this sixth commandment, he says that if you harbor bitterness, if you are unable to forgive somebody, if you insult or abuse another, you've murdered that person in your heart. What this commandment is saying is that so long as you actually don't kill anybody, you're okay. So long as you don't take somebody's life, if you don't murder somebody unlawfully, you're all right. It's not what this says. Jesus, he cautions us against bitterness and anger in our hearts. It's not just the action we have to concern ourselves with. It is our hearts. And if that's perspective we have, if that's how we approach this commandment, again, we all know that we fall short, that we are guilty. Why? Because we slander others. We do speak to others in that way in a degrading way, insulting others. How else do we do that? How else do we murder other people without actually taking their life? Well, we gossip. We talk about others. We don't physically murder people, but we murder their reputation. We all live in a culture that is all about murdering reputation. You've heard the term uh, cancel culture. Our culture is all about that. Don't make a mistake, because if you do, you're done. That's, all, that's what our culture is about. And you walk on eggshells, and, and you hope people aren't going to do that to you. But you also do it to others. You indulge in it, and you take part in it. Our culture is wrapped up in this idea of murdering people, whether you understand it or not. They're so... They're so against giving people second chances. And imagine if God treated us that way. I mean, just today, God has probably had forgiven me several different times for several different sins I have committed. And imagine if he didn't. Imagine if he treated you else, uh, some way else or uh, a different way, right? Like we tend to treat other people. Um, and then he goes on here, and it's interesting. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar... Remember, of course, before Jesus came and, you know, 
became the perfect sacrifice. People actually had to sacrifice at the temple and bring these sacrifices to him. And he says here that before you actually indulge in this, remember that if your brother has something against you, suddenly you think about that, go to him first. Um, that's so fascinating. Matt, uh, be honest, how many times do we come in and out of this building and we sing these beautiful songs of worship to God and we listen here, we're hearing God's word, but all the while we have hatred in our heart towards somebody. Sometimes even towards somebody in this very room, just a few feet away from you. And you harbor bitterness in your heart. And you're out here worshiping before actually going to your brother, going to your sister, and seeking reconciliation, forgiving. That's what Jesus is saying here. And he doesn't even just say, if you have a problem with them, if they have a problem with you, is what he says. And it's significant because so many of the times we said, oh, the blame is on somebody else. We're so quick to judge other people or blame them. Well, they're mad at me. It's their fault. It's not mine. Jesus discards all of that. It's like, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. If they have something against you, you go to them. You go to them. Jesus calls us to go and make peace. And one confronted with this, right? When Jesus says, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. This is what murder actually looks like. All of them are guilty of murder. And for us, we are the same. Why we murder other people internally could be anger, it could be hatred, it could be because we're jealous, because we have low self-esteem, because we're looking for that self-esteem in the wrong places and we can't find it, so we have to bring other down so we feel better about ourselves for whatever reason it is. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's to get others to like you more. But I want to challenge you, don't act on your anger. If you have anger in your heart, don't act on it. Remember that Jesus forgave and he loved. If you hear gossiping, don't indulge in it. Don't partake in it. Stop it and remind others as well. Challenge them. Call it out in your friend groups. Murder does not only mean actually physically killing a man. It means bitterness and hatred in your heart. That's what it means. Do not murder. The next commandment here is adultery. Do not commit adultery. Verse 27, 28, Jesus then goes on to talk about adultery. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Again, they're like, yep. Well, now they're starting to get a little worried because Jesus is unpacking some of these things. Like, well, he's, where is he going with this? He says this, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This command deals most specifically with the relationships that God intended for humans to have with one another. Intimacy is designed to be sacred and God reserves it for the context of marriage, which is between a man and a woman. Now, intimacy outside of that is profoundly destructive. And it can be to any marriage as well, by the way, of adultery. Now, what that means is, of course, is um, when that covenant is broken between another man and a woman, when they go outside of that, marriage, to seek those things, to seek intimacy with another, to lie with somebody else. And this is, of course, something that God condemns. There isn't any justification for it, right? No matter what people might say, people might say, oh, well, I did it because my partner doesn't get me. 
My partner doesn't understand me. My partner doesn't love me the way I deserve to be loved. Or I'm in love with this other person. There is no excuse for it. God forbids it. And he doesn't make any excuse for it. And the teachers of that day also taught that this was bad. That this shouldn't be done. That adultery was wrong. But they only applied this law into action. Not the heart. As we said already this morning, the evil desire is also a sinful thing. It's not just about the deed. It's not just about the action. God is looking inward. So if you're looking at another person with lust in your eyes, we commit adultery in our hearts and in our minds. And even though you may have not taken action, you're still wrong. You're not innocent. And it's important to understand that. It's important to understand as well that thinking about it and actually doing it are two different things. I'm not saying that thinking about and lusting about somebody is the same as actually going out and doing it, right? That's obviously a lot worse. So again, I don't want you to think, oh, just because, well, I already lusted about this person. I might as well actually go do it. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what he's saying either. But what he is saying is that both are wrong. That if you do lust in your heart, you have broken this commandment. It's not just the act. And there's an example here uh, that we find in Scripture. It's David. And David, who's this shepherd boy who goes on to kill this Philistine giant, Goliath, would then later become the king of Israel. He is somebody that God says is a man after his own heart, despite the awful things that he has done. His insurmountable mistakes, right? There's, there's a moment that you read the story of David, if you're familiar with it. He pretty much breaks all the commandments we're talking about today in like one foul swoop. He lusts after a woman, sees a woman, then not only just lusts for her, brings her in, lies with her, breaks his own covenant, makes her break her covenant. She becomes pregnant and then wants to keep her, steals her. And what he does is he pretty much murders her husband so that he could be with her by putting him um, in a position where he would die. It was inevitable that he would die in war, that he would die in battle. So that way he keeps this woman to himself. In one false swoop, he, he breaks essentially all the ones that we're talking about this morning. And you ask, well, how is this a, go- a guy who God looks at him and says, wow, what a heart. How is that even possible? That doesn't make any sense. Well, here's why. In one of his prayers, David says this in Psalm 51, verses 9 and 10. He says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, David cried out and he repented. However, he doesn't just come and seek forgiveness from God. He actually pleads that he would change and transform his heart. He understood the root of this issue. He understood the root of the issue. It's not just, okay, well, I I have to change my actions. No, I have to change who I am. God, transform my heart. It's not enough that I don't just do these things. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to be like this. Make me like you. Adultery is a sin issue. Oh, sorry. Adultery is a heart issue. Um, And we think about things and we have these thoughts. And I want to just stress as well that just because you might have these passing thoughts... 
those are temptation. I don't want to say that that's even sin. It's inevitable that we're going to have thoughts. It's inevitable that things will come up and try to take your attention. But when our, our, our thoughts and our hearts, they get caught up in the sin, is when we allow our minds to rest in these places. When those things come up, you have the decision to choose to think about and to, to sit and rest and set your mind on these things. And, there, and that's the difference there between temptation and sin. And so I want to challenge you, when those things happen, you have to fight against sin. You have to fight against that temptation to think that way and posture yourself to fight against that. That's what this verse is saying here, these two verses in Matthew 50 or 5, 29 and 30, when it says, cut off your own hand. He's not literally saying, cut off your own hand if it makes you sin. Take out your own eye if it makes you sin. You know why he's not saying it literally? Because that's not enough. Even if you did cut off all of your hands, you cut off your eyes, you did all those things, it wouldn't be enough. You would still have the thoughts. It would still be there. So no matter what you do physically, those things don't go away, and that's why it's not enough. What he is saying is, is you have to fight against the temptation, that you have to be willing to sacrifice in order to obey. And that is what most of us are not willing to do to sacrifice, to give up in order to obey. If we are going to fight against sin, then we have to understand what it takes. And I want to give an illustration here. I'm, I'm going over, but this is, such, this is such important stuff that we're talking about, so I ask you to bear with me. I'm going to get a little taboo here, and some of you might think, oh, here we go. Why are we talking about this? But I have to talk about this because this is important. And statistically speaking, you cannot ignore this conversation. I want to address the elephant in the room this morning because it's there. And a large majority of us in the, in the audience today struggle with this thing. Think of your generation. Think of the amount of time they spend on social media, on Twitter, Amazon, and Netflix, for example. Those three specifically. Now, double the number of regular traffic those websites and apps receive, double that number. That's as many regular uh, viewers that adult sites have, that pornographic sites have. You take that number and you double it, and that is incredibly baffling. That the amount of people that watch those things, Netflix, um, Amazon, that go on social media, you take that number and you double it. That's how much people are consuming this kind of stuff. And people are very often introduced to that stuff at your age. Maybe, the age, maybe even younger. And we can, we can joke around about it and pretend that we're naive to it. I don't care who you are. You all know what I'm talking about. And I know because I was in your shoe one day. Because I know the position you stand in. And I know where you're at because I was once there. Are you willing to sacrifice in order to obey? A lot of us want victory from this stuff, but we don't actually go through the process of getting there. We just think, oh, well, I, I, I'm consumed by this. I can never be freed by this. I don't have victory, and you seem hopeless and, and don't have victory. 
because you don't sacrifice, because you don't want to undergo the process to get to freedom. Your phones, you can access all the stuff I just talked about with a click of, with a click of a finger. You can access all of that. But do you have boundaries? Do you have limits for yourself? Do you, do you have those things in place so you don't fall into temptation? Have you given up apps? Do you not visit things? Do you not have a phone for those reasons if you struggle? A lot of us don't. We don't even take those steps because all we, all we get to, the most we get to sometimes is just, oh, I wish it was different. I wish it wasn't like this. But we actually don't take any steps to getting to the place where we could actually be freed. We don't want to undergo that process. We're not willing to sacrifice in that sense. You might feel helpless. You might not feel like you can overcome this addiction or any addiction better yet. But I want to let you know that although you might feel miserable, dirty, and I know because I've been in your position and I know what that feels like, there is freedom and freedom is real and Jesus offers you freedom. Jesus offers you freedom, but it requires that you have a willingness to sacrifice for obedience. What does that mean? A lot of us don't want to be transparent and honest with our sin. But here's what James tells us in chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has a great power for its working. We want the result, but skip the necessary steps. We have the tendency to say, man, I wish I could have the physique, but I don't want to train. I don't want to do the diet. I want to have success. I want all that, but I don't want to work hard. And I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to be tired. Oh, I want, I want freedom, but I don't want to experience the humility or the vulnerability that it requires for me to be free. I don't want to go through the shame if that's what it means to be free. I want to tell you, if you want to get to that place, don't try to do it on your own. If you're trying to do it on your own, get help. It's why I stress time and time again that you have to be in relationships with one another to have accountability, to have discipleship, because we can't do it alone. That's why I emphasize it. You have leaders. You have myself. You have parents who care for you and most likely have been in your shoes before. Whether or not you think they have or, or not, they have. And they want to help you and pray with you and help you fight against these lustful thoughts. But you have to pray like David and you have to come before God and tell him, hey, transform my heart. Make me new. Don't keep trying to do the same things over and over and over again, hiding it from everyone because you're not going to get anywhere. If you want freedom, do not skip the necessary process. Okay? I'm going to skip stealing for today, and I'll talk about it next week because we're a little bit over. But those two are so important. I don't want to rush through these things and through this conversation because you have to hear it. You need to know these things. Again, the commandments, specifically these ones too, they're so much more than just the action themselves. It's about this evil desire that we all have inside. It's a hard issue. It's not just the outward expression of it. All right? And with every, 
every negative connotation, right? Every prohibition comes a positive, a flip side. So instead of, instead of being somebody that murders, be somebody that loves and forgives. Instead of being somebody that's caught up in adultery, understand what commitment looks like. Understand what a covenant with somebody looks like. Understand the obedience and, and the, um, the self-control that you need and the help that you need from others. Don't think that just because you don't do some of these things here in the black and white way that they may seem, that you're following them because we're all guilty and we fall short. But thanks be to God that he has forgiven us through his death, burial, and resurrection. He has fulfilled the law and we can obey. And we're not perfect, but he, but he loves us. So keep putting into practice the things that we've talked about. Remember these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for this time. Just thank you again for the opportunity to be able to speak candidly about these things and to not mince our words, to speak the way that you have. Um, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would um, take to heart the things that we've heard this morning, Lord, and really understand the importance, Lord, of these commandments to our lives, Lord. Not discard them, throw them away, but understand the importance that they serve for us. I pray, Lord, that we would, Lord, take heed to what you say in, in the book of um, of Matthew, Lord, as you're confronting sin, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would also reflect and to be honest with ourselves. Lord, we thank you again for all these things. We pray these things in your name. Amen.